Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, Rifki. How are you? I am doing very good. How are you? I'm doing good. So I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. And my guest for tonight is Rifki Itzkowitz, and I'm going to give her the mic to introduce herself. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rifki Itzkowitz. I am a fashion designer based out of New York City. I design modest, special occasion wear uh, in a size-inclusive range. So all of my pieces are available in sizes 2 through 24, and I use my regular old size 10 as a fit model. So all of my pieces are really designed with that regular average person in mind. Um, you'll see that in all of my, in most of my marketing materials, that's I'm the person who you see modeling the dresses and you'll see a nice range of sizes as well because it's really important to me to make all women feel beautiful. That's incredible. I love that. So I brought you on tonight because I really wanted to pick your brain a little bit because basically I was first introduced to you on uh, Barry Mitzman's podcast and you guys were actually talking about bullying. Yes. And something that like stood out to me so much, like I still think about it all the time, just so you know, it made a really big impact on me was that you were saying that as a child you were bullied and you thought that like like the main two reasons why you were bullied was one was because you were overweight and another one was because you were smarter than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> all you, all correct facts. <laughs> and then in the same like at the same time you had this like amazing reflection that like these two facts about yourself that the size of your body and the fact that you were smarter than everyone else is actually like your superpowers and that's what created like this amazing brand at, because of like your brains and because of like what you were trying to represent I guess so could you just like tell us a little bit more about how it came to be that you use that I guess like pain point to start this like huge movement of your brand yeah so first of all it's actually really nice to hear that that interview helped you um, and I know that it helped a lot of other people uh, because it was really not easy to do. The recording of it was really simple. Barry and I are really good friends. So it really just felt like just telling my friends what had happened. And we recorded it a couple of months before it was released. I think that we recorded it like June or July. And then it was released in September, like as a back to school thing, because that's when these things kind of crop up again around bullying. And I was full on freaking out before we released it. I had a lot of really long conversations with Barry and with other people in my life, with my with my husband, with my friends, because it wasn't something that I wanted to bring up again. It wasn't something that, not that I didn't want to bring it up, but I really wasn't looking
looking forward to bringing it up again. For anyone who's interested in hearing the long version of the story, um, you can catch my episode of the Woman of Valor podcast with Barry Metzman, and I go into a little bit more detail there. But the short version is that I had a really, really difficult elementary school experience, and the easiest way to describe that is that I never had more than one friend um, a year, and it was always a different person every year. And and I was made fun of, like you said, for things for the things that kids make fun of other kids for. I was smarter than the other kids in my class, and I also wasn't, but I wasn't like smart enough to realize that like you shouldn't be shoving that in other people's faces. And I do take a little bit of like almost blame for that. That like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, some kids if if will like recognize that if people are like making fun of you for being smart, then just act dumb. And for me, I was like, no, I'm not going to act dumb because that's stupid. Who wants to act dumb? Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a great social survival technique for right. like a fourth grader or really any elementary school age kid. It's something that like we applaud as adults of like, yeah, you show them, but also like, don't do that as a kid. And then the other reason why I was mainly made fun of was because I was overweight. I lost about 35 pounds in eighth grade and I had 35 pounds to lose. And it was what was the point that I wanted to make there. And the thing that, that kind of, that still kind of, I guess, gets people is the things that I was made fun of for were the things that made me different. It happened to have been that there were just a lot of really, really skinny girls in my class. I don't know if every class had that, or if I just thought that there were just like really thin people everywhere. But so yeah, that was one, even though one of the girls who like bullied me the worst was actually way bigger than I was like significantly overweight. And she would like make fun of me for being fat. And she was probably like three times my size. So like, I don't know, I'll never wrap my head around that one. But either way, the things, the point is, is that people make fun of what is different. Just, just no matter what that is, those are the things that make you different. And the truth is that the things that make you different are your superpowers. Like those are the things that make you special. And I know that that is so corny to say and like so cliche, but at the same time, yeah, like being, I was smarter than the other kids in my class. And that meant that I didn't need to study as hard for a test. And that also meant that I had a lot more time to do creative things. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't study for tests because I could like get a 90 without studying and I was totally fine with getting that 90. So I would paint or draw or knit or so, or do all these other things. And, you know, and it was that combination of just not being the perfect body type and also just knowing how to sit down and strategize and work through things that allowed me to build my company. So in a way, the people who are going to make fun of you or the people who are going to bring you down, they're kind of doing you a favor because they're pointing out what you have that they don't. And chances are, if they don't have it, most people don't have it. And this is something that I've realized as an adult, <laughs> you know, this is not something that I realized as a kid. As a kid, this the this was really, really hard. And I ended up going to a different high school in a different neighborhood because I removed myself from that situation. I removed myself from that group of people. But yeah, it is still, it's something to to keep in mind. You know, there's always, there's always something to see from bad stuff that gets thrown your way. Wow. So what I, what was also like really incredible and I really wanted to ask you is like a lot of kids do get bullied and now like you're reflecting on it as an adult and thinking like, wow, like you could see the positive, I guess you could see like what they pointed out. You could see what makes you different you could see what you, what's your superpower but in the moment it's like so painful and so hard like what kept you like confident what gave you your confidence that like it didn't a lot of kids are like broken because of it like they really need yeah serious help, so you know? so here's the thing this is not something that i i don't think there's anything specific that i did it's just the way that i am i am incredibly stubborn if you tell me that i can't do something i will do it 10 times like that's it's really 
just the way that I'm wired. And when I was in that situation, I was very analytical about it. It's just kind of the way that it's it's just kind of the way that my brain works. And it was like, okay, well, kids are making fun of me for being smart. Would I rather be dumb? No, not really. Mm-hmm. So they're just stupid. And I'm just going to do my own thing. Like I really completely devalued everyone else's opinion. Now, that's not necessarily a good trait. <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. But I, I don't know if this is something that I learned as a result of that or if it's just something that, that I've always had in me. I think it's something that I've always just kind of had is that I don't care so much about what other people think. It's it's just not something that really factors into my decision. I have people who are close to me and I really care about their opinions. So, you know, I, I care what my parents think. I care what my husband thinks. I care what my siblings think. But if you're like just another person in my class or just some idiot on Instagram, like I'm not going to give your opinion weight. I used to have this, this I do remember doing as a kid, actually. I used to have this mantra that the space in your brain is very valuable. So if you're taking up space, you better be paying rent. And if you're not, then get out. So like if there was a kid that was bothering me and they were taking up space in my brain, I would think, are they paying rent? Like, am I getting anything back out of this? No, then then we're done with that. Like, let's think about something that pays rent, quote unquote. And for mm-hmm. me, that was always going to be like creative things. Mm-hmm. Like, let's think of another project. Let's think of something else that we can do. That was the way that I reacted to it. I also think that my parents did a really great job of giving me other stuff that I could be really great at. So like outside of school, I was a rock star. I did gymnastics for four years. I, I was pretty darn good at it too. Like chubby kid in a leotard, good, but still pretty good. Um, and, um, you know, I did gymnastics. I was doing art lessons. I was always able to, like, if I wanted to make something at home, my parents were totally fine with that. So that's something also that I think made a big difference also. So your parents knew, like, the situation that was going on at school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if they could have fixed it, they could. But you can't control other people, let alone other people's children. Right. So, yeah. And it's funny because when I did, uh, in the uh, lead up and the aftermath of actually recording that interview with Barry, I had a lot of conversations with my my mom because people were asking me like didn't your mom try to do something and I was like I'm sure she did but it's mm-hmm. you know you, like I just kind of knew in my brain I was like well that one made a difference right. um, and I asked my mom and she's like of course I spoke to the school of course right. I went of course I you know I tried to, to talk to the teacher and, and do all those things but they don't work I don't think that those things work in any situation anytime it makes it worse with like the kids yeah 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 because everyone knows who you're talking about right. um, everyone knows who you're talking about everyone knows like what's going on and it's right. yeah it just got to a point where where my parents decided to take the approach to deal with it in-house, you know, deal with it um, in, in as a, you know, n- n- meaning you can't control other people. So instead of worrying about how can we make this stop, it's how can we help Rifki deal with this? And I think it turned out okay. So it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's cra- it's a crazy it's crazy i i do think that i mean i don't like know your parents obviously but like it just it must be that they worked really hard on like fostering like a healthy home because like i i know like there, i think one of the reasons why it resonated with me the the interview was because like i am just naturally very like insecure that's just like my personality naturally i, I like i try to work on it so i just think like if that if ever being bullied as a kid like i just could imagine like i don't know being in a psych ward right now like it's just really incredible I think so just has to it goes back to that like some I, I do think that some people are just made of hardier stuff like I do think like you said I've I have I've dealt with insecurities in my own way but never on a really extreme level and I think that's just not how my brain is wired right like just, listen there is a right there's a chemical component to depression you know there's a chemical right. component to anxiety there's a physical manifestation you can see it on on an MRI on a blood test and all of these things I, I've never had that kind of work done but I would presume that if I were it it would just what 
whatever chemicals you need to just be like a little bit of a stronger person. I do think that I'm just, I do think that I'm just wired that way. That doesn't, that's not to say that I don't get insecure. That's not to say that I don't get depressed, that I don't get anxious. That, that it, all those things happen to me, but I just think that I'm someone who, who just naturally, I'm just naturally stubborn and I just deal with it. It's actually also really interesting. I want to talk about this, that like you were saying that you have more of like an analytical brain, but you also have like a really creative brain, which is funny because usually like when people are like more like analytical, they'll be like more towards like the math okay. and science. Yeah. Okay. I don't do math. <laughs> I don't do math on any level. Uh, my husband is an accountant. God bless his soul. Otherwise my books would be a mess. So I really love problem solving. I really, really love problem solving and I'm a very logical thinker. Um, so I think part of the reason why I was always just considered smarter than the other kids in school and is just because I figured out how to take standardized tests. They're just formulas. Like they repeat the same type of questions over and over. And I didn't really know how to do the math. I still don't know how to do like logs and parabolas or whatever. I'm really good at fractions because I use those in pattern making. But aside from that, I can barely count. But the point is, is I learned to like recognize that if a problem was worded a certain way, it was like, oh, they want me to press these buttons on the calculator. Like I just, it was just the pattern recognition and the, the logic side of it, which I think is actually really closely tied to creativity. I'm definitely not one of these, you know how you see how people are creative brains and then they're, they're like you walk. I mean, if you walk to my studio, it's a mess. But where they're like people who are like, if you walk in, it's a com- it's a complete mess and they're just throwing paint at the wall and it's this mm-hmm. a very intense visceral experience for them to be creating that's not how i work i'm a i'm a very technical designer i do work like based on numbers and fractions and things like that that's just how i approach things so i don't i wouldn't say that like a completely right brain but yeah i, I just like i love a good logic puzzle and mm-hmm. and those kinds of things so yeah and also i'm i find a lot of comfort in having things planned out so um i i have a lot of comfort in knowing that like, okay, I'm getting up on Monday and I'm doing, and I have these 10 things that I need to complete. So I arrange my life that way. And every weekend I set up, you know, my, I, you know, I I make a to-do list for the week and I set up so that I know what needs to happen. I make monthly, you know, monthly and quarterly schedules. So I know that like, okay, a collection needs to be produced by this date. So what time does it need, by what date does it need to go into production and when does it need to ship by and, and all of those things like those are, that's just part of running a business. Like you just need to have your act together on a certain level. And that's not necessarily stuff that comes naturally to me, but it is stuff that I have figured out how to do because otherwise you don't have a company. Right. Oh, yes. So walk us through, like uh, you're saying your superpowers was that like, let's say the size of your body and also like how smart you were. And how did that, how did you get from like what you were saying, what your superpowers were to actually having a company that sells weight inclusive clothing? Yes. Okay. Um, So I actually started out doing, doing alterations and making custom gowns and dresses myself. Um, I've always loved fashion. I've been sewing since I'm 10. I'm 25 now. So it's weird to say that I've been doing something for more than half of my life, but I guess I have. How did you learn how to sew? You taught yourself? My grandmother taught me. Wow. Uh, my grandmother taught me and then YouTube took over. And for for me, I just, I kind of knew that I wanted to do something in fashion. Um, so like as a post high school kid trying to figure out what I like, just what I want stuff to look like. I was like, okay, well, I want to be in fashion. I was pretty sure that I did 
didn't want to work for someone else because the idea of working my butt off to create someone else's designs just didn't really work for me. And also fashion is a really mean industry. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to, I just didn't want to go into something that was like, I wanted to kind of create my own corner that is kinder and nicer. So I started doing alterations out of my parents' house um, and sewing custom gowns and dresses from scratch. And that was going really well. Like that was growing and growing. And it started with like just, you know, my friends, my mom's friends, and then they told their friends and they told their friends. And next thing you know, I'm literally running a dressmaking shop. I had open hours and my dad also works from home. So I would have to like, let him know what are the times when he needed to stay in the basement. Cause I was with clients. Like it was crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, <laughs> that was, that, that was really fun. And that grew and grew and grew and was doing really well. And then it got too much to do. Like there's only so many hours what, that I can. You were in college or like. Yeah, this was while I was, while I was in college. I'm full-time or both. So I was in college, what's technically considered a full-time college schedule, but not really a, it's not really, really full-time. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was, um, yeah. yeah, it's, I, I want to say, what was it? It's like, what's 15 credits, which is like five classes. Each class is like two hours a week. So that's 10 hours a week. Like where I come from, that's a part-time job. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, so I was a full-time student with which to me computated as part-time hours. And then just all around my college schedule, I was just meeting clients and I was doing that basically 24 seven. Like I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't breathing. I wasn't really doing anything. And it was, it was great, but also like not, I wasn't functioning. So I had this summer where I sewed, I think it was six custom dresses in eight weeks. It was insane. And at the end of that summer, I was completely exhausted, just like physically done and spent. And I had this, I had this epiphany, which was obviously just that this was not sustainable. And as much as I loved being hands-on at the sewing machine, it just wasn't working. Mm. Um, not, not that meaning I was able to produce great quality stuff. I was actually just thinking today that I want to like make something from scratch again but because i haven't done that in three years since i started impact fashion because me sitting at a sewing machine is the definition of not scalable it's the definition of like that's it's that's just me sitting at a sewing machine most of the gowns most of the um the dresses that i was doing the custom dresses that i was doing were gowns because most of the time when people are going to have something made they're going to have it made for close family members weddings like if a if a child is getting married if a sibling is getting married um that's when you'll invest and have something made for yourself something crazy and beautiful and i had this epiphany and that was at a wedding like i don't know how many people there were at your wedding but there were about 500 people at my wedding which is like pretty standard in like in in the circles where i come from of those 500 people that were at my wedding there were maybe like 10 people in gowns like my siblings my my mom my mother-in-law my husband's sisters yeah that's like about 10 people like maybe 15 there were 250 women in party dresses like in short dresses in the kinds of dresses that you would wear to to an event to an affair so who do you want to be dressing do you want to be dressing 10 people in the room or do you want to be dressing 250 people in the room it's pretty simple math um like even i can handle that so um so that was it was at the end of that summer it was the summer of 2016 that um that impact fashion was born um i came up with a name in the middle of a college class once uh that's i just was texting back and forth with my mom my sister and my cousin who are like the three most like my my cousin is probably the most creative person that i know my sister is a graphic designer so i wanted her input just for like what would make sense for logos and my mom is the most down-to-earth practical person that i know so i figured like the three of them together will come up with a good name we were just kind of putting words just floating words back and forth i don't remember who came up with impact i kind of want to say that it was me but i'm really like 
I can't say that with 100% certainty. And then it was my mom's idea to add fashion afterwards. Cause she was like, I'm not really sure what impact does, but impact fashion I know makes clothes. I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And that's, and that's how it was born. And then I started uh, looking into manufacturers and getting that done. And, and the, I became size inclusive almost by accident. Um, I used, when I made that first collection, I used myself as the fit model because I wanted the samples to fit me uh, for two reasons. When you sell a collection wholesale, you're bringing, I was literally taking a garment bag, putting it in the trunk of my car, driving to stores, meeting with them, showing them the dresses, hoping that they would buy. And a lot of times people want to see stuff on a person. And I figured I'm not going to have anyone with me. It's just going to be me. So these dresses should fit me properly. That was number one. And number two, when you start a company, you have no idea if it's going to work. Um, you have no idea if you'll be doing it in six months from now, in a year from now. I mean, it's the fact that I even made it to three years is a huge accomplishment. And I figured if the whole thing flops at the very least, I'll get a great new wardrobe out of it. Like at the very least, these dresses will fit me. So I was the fit model from the very beginning for selfish and practical reasons. And then I realized very quickly, um, just based on the feedback that I was getting from my retailers, I realized very quickly that because I used myself as the fit model and I have always had an average body, I've never been super thin. I probably never will be. I like, I just don't think that it is physically, let's assume for a second that I wanted to starve myself. I don't think that my body would physically be able to get to like a size two. Like it's just not the way I'm built and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's part of what I want to show people that like, there's nothing wrong with that, that you can still like look and feel great in your clothes. If you're not a two Um, and if you're a size 10 like me, great, let's party. And if you're a two, you're invited also. And if you're a 22, let's have a party. Like let's all get together. So what I realized was that because I had used I had used myself as the starting point, my design scaled up really sim- really simply, really easily. Um, I could use standard grading rules to make them bigger because the base person was was a regular shape. And there's a big difference between size and shape. I actually have a whole article on this on impactfashionnyc.com. And the the thing that I kind of stumbled upon and then really refined was that the shape that I was starting with, which was just my regular body shape, is a shape that most women have. You know, I'm not particularly thin. My waist is a little bit smaller than my butt, but not by a whole lot. My boobs are not huge, but they're there. Like it, it was just very a very average regular person and turns out there are a whole lot more average people who need to buy clothes so uh, that's how that's how the the size inclusivity happened and it was also just as i did more and more research into this i realized that there was no and by the way there as far as i'm concerned as far as i know yeah as far as i know i can't think of another modest size inclusive special occasion brand i know for my just i'm probably the the same size or maybe bigger i don't i really don't know my size like it's really frustrating it's impossible to know your size yeah right so size is made up you're gonna need to help me right no (laughs) it's true size is made up it's size is not standardized in any way shape or form it's almost impossible to standardized sizing because different fabrics lay differently. Um, but for but there's a huge difference between men's uh, clothing and women's clothing. A men's 32 pant has a 32 inch waist usually most of the time, like 85 to 90 percent of the time, it'll be a 32 inch waist. Now an inch is a unit of measurement. Like if I tell you I need two inches of something, that is a a definitive number. You know exactly how 
long that is, right? You know exactly what that is. A size eight is not a definitive thing. The only thing that is standardized about women's sizing is that an eight is smaller than a 10, which is smaller than a 12, which is smaller than a 14. However, how big that eight is, is not a standardized thing. It's just not, it's not like there's a rule or a law somewhere that says that the waist on a size eight skirt has to be 33 inches. It's just not there. Um, So because we're dealing with subjective measurements, that's how you also get this huge range of sizing, which is why, by the way, the number that's inside your clothes, I cannot articulate to you precisely how meaningless that number is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not, I understand that like you want to, you know, everyone wants to be a smaller size. And I totally get that on every level. However, I have in my closet right now things that all fit me well, because I don't wear ill-fitting things, ranging from a size six to a size 14. Right. That's six, eight, 10, 12, 14. That's five sizes. Right. From different companies. And even within the same company. Right. Everyone should really know this because like I have this conversation with many of my clients because like what I do intuitive eating, I really want to support people to actually accept their body. And there's a lot of um, research that shows that dieting really doesn't help with long-term weight loss. And a lot of this is genetics and a lot of it is just accepting your body. And especially like, I think I recently heard this on a podcast that like the average size for a woman is actually a size 14. Maybe you said it. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's just interesting. It's one of those facts that's just thrown around. Oh, okay. So, but like you walk into a Jewish store, I live in the five towns, you walk into a Jewish store and like this happened, my clients complain about it, but like I totally, totally resonate with me and I could empathize because like I go into a Jewish store and I'm like, Hey, I need to buy a skirt. I can't go to loft, like my favorite non-Jewish store to get a store uh, to get a skirt. And like literally nothing fits me, even the extra, extra large. And I'm probably an average size, but like, right. So it's it's, hard. Yeah. It gets really hard. And the thing also is it's not only that the, like the average American size is a 14, but again, to say that is not really meaningful because how big is that 14? Okay. Right. The number, like the, the name of the number is really meaningless. It would be much more meaningful to say the average American woman's waist size is however many inches. And I don't know what that number is. Uh, That statistic, that the average size is a 14 is one that's like very widely quoted and I don't know where it came from to be perfectly honest but it is it's it's again it's almost a meaningless statistic because we haven't all agreed on what that size 14 is and also I think that it see I don't fault a company for for like quote unquote running small I don't necessarily fault a company for that everyone has who they cater to some people choose to cater to a certain sect of people who are just always hungry and some people choose to cater to everyone I like to have parties with everyone. So I'm, you know, I worked very hard to make sure that my size chart made sense for most people. What I do fault a company for is if their sizing is not consistent. That's what I as a consumer find incredibly frustrating. If I own something from your brand and it's a large, then when I order from you again, I'm going to order a large. And if the second time that large shows up and I measure it because I'm a nerd this way and when something doesn't fit me, I measure it because this is my job, people. And it's a full two and a half inches shorter in the waist than your previous large, how am I ever supposed to know what size I am? You know, how am I ever supposed to know? So like that's for me is where things get very frustrating. And I I just work really hard to make sure that my stuff is always consistent. That my sizing is really consistent, that my um that my designs are really consistent. And also that just in the way that my pieces are designed, that they will look good on people 
who have like, you know, a little bit of junk in the trunk and a little bit of a muffin top and just everyone has these insecurities. So why are we catering to such a small sect of people who are just super thin? Like that to me, forget about like from a moral standpoint, just from a business standpoint, it makes no sense because most people are just not like that. Like you're, you're just, you're automatically eliminating so many people to be your customers. So yeah, that's, that's my little rant on that. So how did, did you, you mentioned like speaking to your mom about the name and working from your parents' house. I know you work now in your parents' house. Oh like yeah, same room. So were they like supportive of like your entrepreneurial spirit? Like were they, did they ever have like this like fear? Like what are you going to do about health insurance? Like what everyone else says about people <laughs> being entrepreneurs. Okay. So I think it would be difficult to overstate just how supportive my parents are were and continue to be um, of the choices um, that I have made. It wasn't like, aside from the fact that like, yes, my business is based out of their home right now, that same room that I started out doing alterations and making custom gowns and dresses. I still work out of that room. They haven't kicked me out yet. And I don't think that, I mean, honestly, they never asked me like, what are you going to do for health insurance and those kinds of things? Um, I think it was also because I started this when I was really young. Um, I started Impact Fashion when I was 21. So just specific to the health insurance, insurance issue. I had five more years left on their right. health insurance. Um, so like well, I've, heard, I've, heard everything. To that, I've heard everything about right. this. Yeah. Right. Like specifically to that question, like I don't think that it was anything that people were, were worrying about. At the time when I started, and I'm really, I'm really happy that I started it when I did, because I don't know that I would start it now. You know, I'm at a very different place in my life. I I am, am married and we have bills and things like that. And uh, thankfully, I'm in a position where I'm able to do the thing that I love. But I started it in a really safe environment. When I started Impact Fashion, I was able to take literally every penny that I had made in my entire life up until that point and invest it into starting this business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to do that with pretty much no risk aside from like the actual, you know, money that was put in because I was living at home rent free. I didn't have to worry about groceries. I didn't have to worry about, you know, health insurance or any of these things. Like I was, my parents were really taking care of me in that way. And I think that we all, like it wasn't, yes, I did like wake up one day. I did, you know, I, and I remember even like the conversation that I had with my mom and, and we're both sitting on her bed and I'm saying, and I'm like, I think I'm going to wholesale to stores. Like, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm just going to like call them up and walk in and, and do it. And my mom was like, okay, go do it. But first I needed to make a collection. And, and you know, at the time it was like, it was just very piece by piece. It was like, okay, well, first I need to make a collection. Can I design five dresses. Yeah, I think I could do that. Okay. Spend three months doing that. Okay. Now how do I make sure that these can be produced? Okay. Let's, you know, let's work with the factory. Let's make these things happen. Let's go and sell. It It was a very slow build that way. And also when I started it, it was my full-time part-time job. No, I was still in school full-time. Right. So it was a full, the full-time hours that I was kind of just fitting in around school. And that meant that I was able to just kind of take this huge leap. Um, and they were, and they were totally behind me. I don't know that I could have done it without their support. Just because like the self-doubt would probably have been that much stronger. It's really tricky when you're starting a business because okay. yeah, like I'm sure that you know this when you're starting a company, there's everything, like everything exists in your brain all at once from this is the best thing ever to this is the scariest thing I've ever done to this will definitely work. This will never work. Mm-hmm. How are we going to make this happen? Why am I wasting time on this? Should I be getting a job? And, and it, 
it gets very, it can get tricky. Um, and I think that because I started it, I remember thinking that like when I started it, when I was in college, I was like, okay, fine. So it'll be like my college hobby. You know, it'll be like the thing that I do in college. Um, the big leap for me came when I finished school and I actually left school a little bit early uh, because things were picking up and school was kind of stupid and I didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> that, that was when I really, that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a year because it's kind of normal to have a year gap on your resume. You know, if I, if I, I graduate college in 2017 and I don't start looking for a job until 2018 like that makes sense like that's fine I could have been backpacking through Europe or whatever mm-hmm. and it was when I stopped like there was a point in time when I stopped thinking about it in terms of holes in my resume like it, there, there did become a point in time and it was like oh no this is a this is a real thing that I'm that I'm building and that I'm doing and and that's happening and I don't know that I, I could have gotten to that place just in a in a mental state without having um, the support of, of the people around me uh, you know first first came my parents then came my husband mm-hmm. um, I joke that my first relationship was my business because it predates him by about a year so you know and and if he wasn't as like I'm, I'm very very fortunate to have him to and to have him be as supportive as he is because it, it's not a given like there were plenty of guys who I dated that were very confused by this mm-hmm. and were very like but what's your job and I was like I'm making my job right I but who's your boss me oh that sounds really fun you can do whatever you want I was like yeah except that I have to do everything like there was just some people who like couldn't wrap their brain around what was happening or they just really didn't approve of it or whatever. Um, and he was always just really on board from the very beginning. Right. So I was actually going to like poke a little bit about like um, the mindset when starting a business. Cause I did want to like include that a little bit um, because I, I started my business like about two years ago, but like some stuff happened in between. So I took a little bit of a break, but it's interesting that you're, that you're talking about the, like, basically I'll, I'll call it like the limiting beliefs in your mind. Like, because, because I, I guess you could say like, I'm a counselor, like I do, nutrition counseling but I also do this whole intuitive eating part where like I really like unpack people's diet culture and talk about like where the chronic dieting started and all that type of stuff and I do charge like a higher fee I mean I guess I charge the going rate but like when I first started it was like I cannot charge that amount and I even I think I even heard this on a podcast maybe it was with um have a tribe where you said like yeah but this is what I'm worth like you were just so confident that that like your dresses should be that like higher end price and you were also spending a lot of money on the fabric. Right. So it's very different. We're in very different boats because I'm selling a physical product and it costs me a certain amount of money to make that physical product. Right. Like the fabric costs me a certain amount of money. The labor costs me a certain amount of money. The marketing, the marketing and all of that, like all of that, there's very definitive like answers to what the cost of my good is. Um, And that in a lot of way dictates my price. Now I did make the decision to pursue more of a, an evening wear line or more of a spe- what you would what's like normally referred to a special occasion if you were talking like among the from community it would be like Shabbos and wedding mm-hmm. um you know Shabbos Simcha that kind of that those kind of pieces um and a big part of the reason why I chose there were two main reasons why I chose to go into that space number one I just really like it you know I'm not interested in spending time and energy on making a t-shirt or denim skirt I love wearing those I have so many friends who make beautiful pieces like that but it's just not where my passion is my passion is really in doing just special pieces where I can really play with construction and fabric and design and all of those things. So that was number one. And number two, I knew that I wanted to produce in New York because it felt more accessible. At the time, I didn't 
understand all of the advantages to producing in New York. The main one is quality. Um, and now, especially with all of the like trade war nonsense that's going on, there are huge tax benefits to producing in New York um, in that I don't have to deal with tariffs and all that ridiculous, stupid stuff. And I'm not going to share my political opinions here. But I knew that I wanted to produce in New York and producing in New York is expensive. It's about three to four times more expensive than producing overseas. So that would just dictate the price of my product. Um, so if it was going to cost, you know, three to four times as much as something that you can get that was produced overseas, I felt like it should look like it cost three to four times as much. Right. And I'm also a big believer in investing in core pieces that make you look and feel amazing that you get a lot of use out of. Now, my closet right now is ridiculously vast because again, all the samples fit me. I produce about a dozen dresses twice a year, do the math. Right. You know, right now I have a, I have a, an, an extremely extensive closet. However, there was a point in time before I had this company when I would buy probably, I want to say two max, three dresses a season. So, and in my brain seasons are twice a year. And those would be my special occasion dresses. You no, know, those would be what I would wear if there was something going on in shul, if there was a wedding, if there was a family simcha, like those would be my pieces. And I don't mind rewearing things. I would and they, and they were expensive. They were amazing. They fit me really well. I would invest in the tailoring. Like that's, that's just what my personal belief is. I, there are, I, I know that there are people just, just based on their orders, um, that own five or six pieces for my collection. And I'm very fortunate to have those people. However, that's not the majority of my customers. The majority right. of my customers will buy a dress once every six months. Right. Um, you know, once every, you know, maybe eight to 10 months because it is an investment piece. You know, most of my dresses are around $300. It's not, it's it's, you know, it's, it's not a throwaway purchase for a lot of people. Right. And, and I wanted to do something that would feel like it was worth the investment. So yeah, my price was dictated by my cost. It wouldn't make sense for me to produce a dress, to, to sell a dress for less than it cost me to produce it. Right. Um, so that made, that made it really either easy from just like a math level perspective. The place where I needed to uh, kind of assert myself was when it came to my custom designs. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started doing custom gowns and dresses before Impact Fashion, I used to charge like $300 for a dress, which is stupid. Like it's just not, it, it, I did the math once and it worked out to like $8 an hour, yeah. which is sad. Um, right. That's less than the minimum wage in New York City for like highly skilled work. It was just ridiculous. And I still do custom dresses through Impact Fashion and now they start at $750. And that's a number that is, um, that is creeped upwards as the demand has gotten more and more. I can only take on two clients at a time. And for the most part, I pretty much always have two clients at a time. So that's, that's something that, that also, that's just pure word of mouth. And, um, and as people find me more and more, and again, it was just like, well, okay, I can only be taking two clients at a time. So if you're, you know, it used to be that it would start at $500 and at at the $500 price, I would be getting four clients at a time. And that was too many even. So now I upped it a little bit and yeah, could I technically be making more if I was doing four dresses at 500? Yeah. But then also we'd be right back at square one and I wouldn't be have any time to, you know, see my family or breathe or eat or like do all those things that make life living, you know, make life worth living. Yeah. So that's, that, that's where that comes to, comes to for me. But I definitely identify with the struggle of like trying to figure out where to, where to price yourself, particularly when you're in your situation where you are offering a service where the only direct cost is your time. Right. Well, not really. That's the thing because like, it's really like my degree and it's like all the certificates that I have. And then of course, which all took a lot of time to get. Right, 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 right. And also, yeah. yeah. There is marketing. There's a lot of marketing. Right. Of course. Uh, one of my best, um, one of my favorite quotes, who showed it to me? 
I think it was Michelle Moses who showed it to me because we get into these conversations all the time. Uh, Michelle and I are pretty good friends. And, and I was so excited when I was able to finally hire her to take some stuff off my plate. And also just, it's, it's really fun to work with your friends, but either way, there's, there's a quote that says um, that thing that just took me a half an hour to do. Uh, uh, it took me 10 years to learn how to do, how to complete that project in a half an hour. You right. owe me for the years, not for the minutes. Right. True. Like, and, right. and that, and that's also, it's just part of it. And it's what, you and it's what you factor into it right but I'm saying like this is where like what I'm hearing you say is that like from what I'm just from this conversation is like you just have a lot of like self-confidence and like you're really pragmatic so it's like well if I'm going to produce this quality dress I'm going to use this quality fabric and therefore it's going to cost x dollars and like for a lot of people and in my industry and even my clients like we work about we work on like getting like working through the limiting beliefs because like let's say even with intuitive eating which is like I think a little bit esoteric for a lot of people where they whether you think it's like oh eat whatever you want and just accept your body which is like totally not that's like just not Wouldn't that be great though <laughs> well that sounds really appealing to me well I think that's what people think it is you know so and then there's a lot of like really working out like the kinks of like where did diet culture start and like how has it affected you and what are you using food to cover up whether it's restricting or binging you know and like we go really right. really deep into the limiting beliefs and I actually just posted about this on Instagram that I took I recently took an eating disorder order course and the person giving the course Jessica Setnick was saying the way that we behave is like how we model for our clients so like if I don't set a strong boundary how could I expect my client to set a strong boundary you know right. so if I don't keep to if you miss a session and you don't pay or if you come late whatever it is or whatever the boundary is that I make by keeping it, I'm really serving my client. You know what I mean? So like it's kind right. of, you're, you're modeling that behavior for them. Right. So it's the same, like for you, like you're, what you're saying is like you value quality over quantity. Oh, 100%. And 100%. Um, yeah, that to me, I just don't like wearing bad clothes. Right. I just don't like, I just, I really, really don't even my, my everyday wardrobe. I've, I, there is one item in my closet that is from H and M. It's a pair of leggings. It's really comfy and i and i own a couple of those pairs but i replace them every season because they fall apart and they right. cost 12 dollars. right so you know so I'll, I'll replace them every season but they're just really comfortable and i really like them but for the most part i don't want to be doing that with my entire wardrobe first of all i don't have the time to shop an entire new wardrobe every season like let's get real right. and also i just i know what looks good on me i know what i like so i invest in you know one to two new pieces a season that are just really good you know I'll get one or two new sweaters. I'll get one new skirt that are just really great pieces and that are really good quality. And for me, that's, that's just how I feel put together. You know, that, that's how I feel comfortable. And I like to hang out with people who like, who think the same thing. Right. So, you know, I ran a little bit like what you're saying, you create like really good quality and you want people to buy, like you said, most of your customers are buying one a season. Right. You know what I mean? So that's sort of like, like what I was just saying before, the way that we behave is how like we're modeling for our clients and oh yeah i am my ideal customer right right which is why by the way i get along with and become friendly with so many of my customers right because we like the same things you know right. we we like the same things we appreciate the same things i really feel like through my company i've been able to give a glimpse into how my brain works and give 
um, have this really tangible manifestation of the things that I think are important. Like you said, quality, inclusivity, just getting along with each other, uh, being more open to hearing other people's ideas and opinions. Those are all things that are really important to me. And I think that that comes through in my clothes, in the way that I present my company, um, in the way that I present myself on social media. Like I just think that those are things that, that translate really well. And the re, and I, and that's why so many of, of my customers or even my followers have become like real friends because we appreciate those same things. Like they've seen this little part of my brain which is sometimes a complicated place, but for the most part, a happy place to be. And, and they've appreciated what's there. So let's hang out, you know, let's go grab a coffee or something. Right. So I actually, so I know that you started your podcast and it's called impact fashion, right? Be impact. It's called be impactful. And I listen, I think I listened to every episode except for the one you recently aired. So is that sort of like, we spoke about this a little bit, but like, is that, are you like you're saying you're you as a person and you as your brand represents quality, inclusivity, um, being kind, Right. Making right. An impact. So is that where you were going with the podcast? Like okay. Be- so I started a podcast because I love podcasts. Like I, I had guested on a couple of my friends that have podcasts, like you mentioned, Barry at Woman of Valor, Sippy from Hava Tribe at The Stunning Success. Um, I had guested on a couple of um, like more nationally recognized podcasts, like the unofficial Shopify podcast and others. And I really, really liked it. I'm a schmoozer. Like I'm happy, like doing something like this is just really, really fun for me. And I also wanted to have have like for me the idea behind be impactful was we're all just doing our best to do our best like I'm sure that there are people who are looking at me and looking at you and thinking like how she's doing so well like she has her whole life figured out she's you know she's got this company and this great family and like everything's great and wonderful and that's just not true about anybody's life and um and I think that we're all just kind of improvising and we're all just like we're all just throwing these situations and we do the best that we can and even the people who you see that are doing really incredible things are improvising they're all just trying to do their best so I wanted to talk to people about that process whether it's someone who built a company or a social media following or someone who's been through a hard time or an artist or someone who started a nonprofit or whatever it is everyone is just doing their best to do their best so I wanted to talk to women of all different types and stripes and it's not even specifically geared towards Jewish women I just wanted to have this opportunity to talk with all different types of women about the experiences that they were having in their regular lives. And the other thing that was really important to me, I have made a ton of really great friends through this whole process. And as my company continues to grow, I'm continuously meeting fabulous people like yourself, Gila. And that to me was like, I just wanted, I wanted people to be able to see this, just this little window into my world of friends and what, and what that's like and what those, you know, and the people who I interact with on a daily basis don't all look like me. You know, the people who I interact with on a daily basis, some of them are pretty similar, some of them are not. Um, And I wanted people to see that. It kind of goes back to, I'm a big believer in taking the time to learn what other people think, in really being open to other people's opinions. And I wanted to give all the people around me access to those conversations that I was having with my friends anyways. Uh, So like my first episode uh, was with someone named Vivian. That was a great episode, by the way. I loved it. I met her through Shop. Uh, she's an entrepreneur. She's based out of Canada. She built this company called Kinky Curly Yaki, which is textured hair extensions for black women. And it is a multi-million dollar company. And her situation is very different from mine. She was born in Ghana. She is a single mother. She, um, she built this company from the ground up. Like all of that was very different from my situation. And me and her have a lot in common. Right. Um, 
Um, and what I love is finding that commonality. And, and that's what I do through, um, through my interviews. So yeah, you can catch Be Impactful on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Stitcher, pretty much all the places that podcasts live. Uh, and you'll have some really great interviews with people who I am friends with, people who maybe I am newly friends with, uh, some people who I don't know at all and who have just been kind of connected with. And it's just a lot of really great conversations about what's really going on in all of our heads. Yeah, that definitely comes through in the podcast. And um, yeah, your brand's just awesome. Your podcast awesome. Your social media is awesome. I love following you. And I should keep you around more often. You're great for my ego. <laughs> you, you told me that at that Kavana conference. So, and I mean um, it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really like, I felt privileged to meet you. I love what your brand represents. And I love that so much of it represents body positivity and inclusivity because like I said before, like I have women in my office crying all the time about how they don't, you know, why do people want to lose weight? What's the main point? The main reason is because they want to fit in. And like, right. if we take that away, like you're fine the way you are, you're beautiful the way you are, you're perfect the way you are, as cliche as that sounds, like that really represents inclusivity, really. Right. So It does. And if you have anyone crying in your office, you can send them my way. I will. And I will be at your studio one day. God willing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it happen. Okay. So tell everybody where they can find you. So I am on Facebook and Instagram at impact.fashion.nyc. You can also go to impactfashionnyc.com. Um, you'll see my whole collection there. There's also a blog there. Um, so the article that I mentioned before about the difference between size and shape, it's my most popular article. It's a really great read. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, awesome. Thank you so, so much. Have a wonderful night. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.